Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, or 12, verse 31. There is a division in the Bible. The divisions are not original. When the Bible was originally written, it wasn't broken up into chapters and verses. And we have a change here in, uh, in chapters that is uh, suppose you have to have changes in chapters. They have to come somewhere so it doesn't mean that it's going to be good where it comes, but you really do have to read the end of chapter 12 as you go into chapter 13 here. So this is the word of God, and it is eternally true. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Now you see how chapter 12, verse 31 goes with chapter 13, verse 1. The Apostle Paul has been going through the gifts of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit have been at the center of the division of the church. There's so many divisions. They go to to law against each other. They're going to court. Um, There's sexual immorality division. There's division of the Lord's table of drunkenness and gluttony. There's division, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus, I'm of Paul. 
It's just, they're proud of their intellectual ability. It's just division, division, division. And one of the divisions is the spiritual gifts. And with the end of chapter 12, the Apostle Paul has gotten done dealing with the fact that the spiritual gifts themselves, which come from the Spirit, and which are all necessary for the body, these spiritual gifts that every person in the church has a spiritual gift that they are to use for the body, that these have become the center of division also. And it's interesting that when he gets to the end of that chapter, you would think that if the spiritual division in the church is on the gifts that he would have said all the gifts are the same, they're all equally valuable, they all have the same value, right? But that's not what he says. As he comes to the end, he says, in verse 28, he says, and God has appointed in the church, and then he uses the word first. And uh, I personally believe that every family, (laughs) I think every family should have an oldest son. Now, if all you have is daughters, I'm sorry about that. And if your oldest son is a wastrel, do, do, is that word still in, in use? Wastrel? Oh, a rotter? Do we use the word rotter? So what's the word do you use today? A, well, bum doesn't nearly get at it. I'm a bum, but I'm not a wastrel. Black sheep, loser, yeah, but it's beyond loser. A wastrel and a rotter are maliciously evil. These are men that have no principles. Even, even their selfishness is wicked, if that can be. Every family, if they have an oldest son and he's not a wastrel, a rotter, evil. That oldest son should be recognized as the firstborn son. <laughs> okay? And if he's the firstborn son, he should be the one that is responsible for providing for the family when the father dies. I don't know why we have to say these things now. That's the job of the son. I was listening to a man here describe his future son-in-law to me yesterday, and he was describing this future son-in-law is a man who is provided for his wife or his mother when his, when his father walked out on him. Is that a beautiful thing when your son or your daughter is going to marry a man who took a job in high school to provide for his mother? Now, why am I saying this? Well, first, it's it's a word we don't like anymore. You know, your kids played soccer like mine. You're not supposed to keep score anymore. Because first is bad. And so the firstborn son has an obligation to help his mother and to help his siblings. Does this make sense to you? And so he should be your executor so that he uses the money that comes from the estate to care for everybody in the family. Right? Now I mention that because it says here, verse 28, it says, and God has appointed in the church First, apostles. First, apostles. And I want you to see that because we hate hierarchy. A couple days ago, somebody 
Oh, I know who it is. It's Mike Bowles. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but Mike Bowles, I, 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 I went into his brain. I've been in his brain a lot this last week. And I saw that Mike Bowles accepts hierarchy. You know? He just accepts it. And it was shocking to me because nobody else does. Everybody else is trying to, to mishmash everything up and, and deny hierarchy. I want you to see that the solution to the division of the Corinthian church was not removing hierarchy. Even when there's fighting between them as to whose gifts is the most important, the Apostle Paul solves that by saying at the end of the section, first what? Apostles. In other words, the most helpful person in the early church was whom? Were the apostles, the 12 that Jesus had set apart. And who was most helpful among them? Well, Peter, until Paul came along. And who would you most ha like to have come from the early church here today? Absolutely the apostle Paul. And then the minute he got here, how much would you like him? <laughs> you wouldn't like him at all. Because the Apostle Paul was committed to being helpful. The guy's not going around crying with people because everybody loves him. Remember he said, day and night with tears? First, apostles, then what? He says, second, prophets. A prophet is a preacher. A prophet wasn't somebody that foretold in the early church. There was some of that. But a prophet's somebody that takes this and applies it to that, and that, and you. You know, it takes scripture and applies it to us. Then third, teachers. Then miracles. And it's interesting, he establishes a pecking order of the gifts. Do you see this? Okay? There's a hierarchy of the gifts. And in case we missed it the first time, he reiterates that pecking order when he says, all are not prophets, are they? Or, excuse me. Verse 29, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers. Listen, we can think that the way to bring peace and unity to an organization is by denying a hierarchy. And that is what everybody thinks today. If we get rid of leadership, if we get rid of preeminence, if we get rid of who's at the top and who's at the bottom, if we just act as if the little toe is just as important as the nose, then we'll all be at peace. And the truth is, that little toe who's convinced by modern egalitarianism that he's a nose is a real pain. Because everybody's having to be a hypocrite around the toe, acting as if the toe is as important as the nose. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. God does not establish order by having a lack of hierarchy. All right? Now, how do we get order? The Apostle Paul said apostles, prophets, teachers, it goes down miracles, it goes through this hierarchy, reiterates it by saying all are not apostles are. And then he says this. He says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Oh no. There are greater and lesser gifts. How are we ever going to have unity in the church if there are greater and lesser gifts? We can't have unity if there's any. We're all equal. All equal. Everybody's different, but in an equal sameness, right? 
trying to like channel Roadstar Runner, you know. Now listen, we have a pecking order and then he says, but I tell you, he says, seek something even better. So it's even better than healing, even better than helps. It's better than teachers, prophets, apostles. What is that something? Well, that something is, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but don't have love, so love is what is better than all of that. When I was working on the book on fatherhood, and I wanted to write about God being love, I was so tormented about it because I knew that the minute I put the word love on a page, everybody was going to start channeling John Lennon. Love, love, love. love, love. All we need is love. All we need is love. All we need is... Do, 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 do. And it's just utterly disgusting because this is a love that is devoid of any hard edges, any boundaries. It's just like, have your brother's wife if you want to have your brother's wife. That's love. You know, I was working this last week on another book on homosexuality and showing how the church is completely caving today on homosexuality. And you don't think it is, but trust me, it is. It's just doing it in a very devious way, okay? And so there were these picketers down at Southern Seminary, and they're opposed to any therapy that deals with people calling them to be what their body is, okay? All right? And so they were picketing, and the picket sign said, uh, conversion therapy, reparative therapy kills, all right? That was one of them. But the other one was, um, love needs no defense, or love, love is its own defense, or love is its own, you don't need to justify love. In other words, it, it, whatever you call love, you don't ever have to justify it because, come on, say it. All we need is, bop, 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 bop. and so this is the same man who sings, imagine there's no heaven, it's easy as you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living in harmony. Do, do, do. You can say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join me and the world will be as, and he's dead. And that's his love. And really, who was it? Was it Hinckley? Who was it that killed him? Lennon. Who killed him? No, I don't. I don't think it was Sirhan Sirhan. Who killed him? Yeah, John Mark Chapman. That's right. And he didn't even have any reason to kill him. In other words, this was volunteer hatred out of nowhere. And he says, all we need is love. And so I'm working on this book, and I think nobody has a clue what love is, because love is what? Love 
is the first and the second table of the moral law of God, and that is precisely what are in the sights of everybody in the Western world. Everybody in the Western world is trying to destroy the first and second tables of God's law. And so the thing we know is that when anybody says love today, they mean the very opposite of love because what they mean is what's opposite from God's law, the first and the second table of the law. Because Jesus said that the greatest commandments are what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. Okay? And so love, you remember who's the apostle of love? John is the apostle of love. He writes 1 John and 1 John, what does he say about love? He says, this is love for God, to obey his commandments. And so love is defined by God's commandments. You with me? And the commandments define what the Western world hates today, and they call it love. And so here we have a chapter that says, you know what? You've got gifts of healing, you've got gifts of miracle, you've got gifts of teaching, you've got gifts of preaching, prophecy, you've got the gift of the apostleship, but desire something even superior to all this, and that is love. And then what we do is we read this chapter at weddings, <laughs> okay? And we feel, I don't know about you, but I feel sort of, you know, romantic, kind of like uh, sort of sensitive, what Mike would say, girly. <laughs> and so when does this get read? Well, when everybody's all sentimental about the death of Princess Di, then the prime minister gets up at the funeral and reads 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? You with me? And listen. In, in this series on 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to use my brother's sermons on it a lot. And here's one place. My brother says, this chapter is not for weddings. This chapter is for divorce court. Okay? When we're in the first blush of love... And the honeymoon is upon us. And everybody's pouring money on us. It's not the time we need 1 Corinthians 13. We need 1 Corinthians 13 when we've had it up to here with our husband. And our wife and our children. And the nursery workers. And the Awana teachers and the deacons and the elders. Then we need it. We need 1 Corinthians 13 when the pastor gets up and preaches. No, actually, the pastor needs 1 Corinthians 13 when he gets up and preaches. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 is not for you, it's for me. That's what Martin Luther says, and this is Reformation Sunday. Martin Luther says this. So here's the beginning of Martin Luther on 1 Corinthians 13, and Martin Luther says, 
Paul's purpose in this chapter is to silence and humble haughty Christians. Haughty means arrogant or proud. And then he says this, particularly teachers and preachers. In fact, let me read, I'm just skipping down a little bit of text, and let me read this. Luther says, no one takes thought how he may, in Christian love, serve his fellow men to their profit. Now, you already know he's talking about pastors. So he's saying, no pastors are concerned about serving the church so that the church will be strengthened. This is what Luther says 500 years ago. He says, each seeks for himself glory and honor, advantage and wealth. That's what your pastor Tim Bailey wants glory and honor, excuse me, advantage and wealth. Each of us, that's what we want. Then he says, he engages in a little thought experiment, okay? And he says, let's say, for instance, that we could somehow design things so that we could be, but he doesn't say we, He says one, the academic one, you know. Could one, all right, but let's say we, could I. Well, how about if I say I? Could I bring about for myself the distinction of being the sole individual, learned and powerful in the gospel, and all of you to be insignificant and useless? He says, I would willingly do it, and that I would be glad if I alone were regarded as... Mr. Smart. That's what, that's, that's what he says, Mr. Smart. And this was before Presbyterianism had been invented. So I'd like to say it this way. I would willingly do it. I'd make all of you stupid, have me be the only one that understands anything about the gospel, if then all of you would admit that I'm Mr. Smarty Pants. He doesn't say pants, but he says smarty, smart. And he says at the same time, and, and so if you think about that, you think that's utterly disgusting to think of having a man preach to you who he would be happy for you to be ignorant and have none of the gospel as long as you thought he was smart, right? And then he says, but he would affect deep humility. In other words, even while he was getting you to realize how stupid you are and he is smart, he would cop a posture of being very humble. (laughs) Great self-abasement, you know, Uriah Heap, you know, I'm nothing, 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 right? And he preaches of love and faith, but it would take it hard, he would take it hard if he in practice I'm trying to paraphrase this on the fly. It's not working well. He would not like it if the reality was that he even had to touch with his little finger what he preaches. Okay, this is me, and most of you, this is you. And this certainly is the Protestant church today, and it certainly is the Reformed and Presbyterian church. We want to have nothing of humility. We want everything to be about the preacher and the teacher. And we want 
them to give us a USB-C or 3 cable, put it in our, download the word providence and the word sovereignty such that we can look down our noses at every other church because they don't know how to pronounce providence or sovereignty. And we think that that is the, the, the highest you can climb in the world today is that you're able to, 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 to describe what is true. And it doesn't matter one bit whether we are in the jails, whether we're in the nursing homes. Because we're smug in our self-critical, or in our, you know, in our intellect. That's what it is. That's what it is. And what the Bible says is, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I have listened to every R.C. Sproul tape, if I've read Calvin's Institutes, if I know the Westminster Shorter Catechism by heart, Luther's Small Catechism, and I don't have love, I'm nothing. And I want you to know that there's no verse in Scripture that I think of more when I think of standing before God's judgment seat than that verse. It, it, it goes through my mind all the time. Because what can I stand before God and bring in my own righteousness? About all I can do is say, well, you know, I tried to stand for truth. <laughs> you know? And if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Okay? If you don't have love, you're nothing. And let me tell you, love is not cheesy. It's not sentimental. And it's never, it's never ever done to grandstand. I've been dealing with a man for maybe a couple months now where I, he's furious at me. He's not in this church. And I keep trying to figure how to communicate with him. And it's, it's in, I can't, I can't figure out how to deal with it. I talk to Mary Lee about it all the time. I've talked to maybe a couple of you. And one of the problems in my relationship with this man is that this man is very convinced that all his actions are righteous. And it's gotten to the point where I don't know how to say anything because anything I say to him will be viewed as an act of hostility. And I just don't feel hostility, so I know that's how he's going to interpret it. But one of the problems is that if you don't have the ability of seeing your pride in your actions, if, it, if you don't have a husband or wife or children who will point out your pride in your actions, you don't have a beginning knowledge of what it is to love. Because it's impossible for someone who doesn't see their pride to love. Because self-love is everything you do. And what, what Luther or Calvin, I don't remember which one, but what they say is, you go through all the list of things. If I give my body to be burned, if, if, if I give away all my money, my, my possessions. And he goes through and shows all these things that we can do and not have love. And so 
there are many people who have gone to martyrdom who have no love and therefore had nothing. And so it is true that you can martyr, you can give your life up for the gospel, and you can be utterly hopeless. Because love is the only indication that you belong to God, that you have faith. If you don't have love, you don't have faith. Now these three remain. Faith and hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why? Because if you don't have love, you don't have faith or hope. You can talk about it all you want and you don't have any. If you spend your life, I keep warning you about this, if you, keep, if you spend your life resenting other people and being angry at them, you don't know God. That's why Jesus said that if you refuse to forgive your brother his sin, your heavenly Father will refuse to forgive your sin. And it's not tit for tat. Nothing is ever tit for tat with God. Everything's grace. What it means is that you don't know the first thing about God's forgiveness of you if you won't forgive other people. Are you with me? And so, you know, you can look down on me and say, I can't believe he just said that about himself. Listen, I make no bones about it. I am a selfish pig. But what I tremble about is that you don't think you are. And you are, trust me. (laughs) And if you don't believe me, ask your wife. Well, there are a couple of women here that will lie to their husbands. So come ask me. Listen, listen. John Lennon didn't have a clue what love was because John Lennon imagined a world without heaven and hell. All the people that sing about love, they don't have a clue what love is. What is love? The Bible says herein is love. And remember that we always establish truth through the negative and not just through the positive. And so it says, herein is love, what? Not that we love God. (laughs) But that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Herein is love. Here's love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be appreciation. And then where is love? Why were yet sinners, Christ died. Greater love has no man than this, that he gives up his life for his friend. Jesus Christ, because of the love of his father, went to the cross in obedience. And on the cross, he poured out his lifeblood after being mocked, after being slapped, after having the crown of thorns, after his entire life was a life of people mocking him and plotting to kill him. That was his three years of ministry. He went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? Because of of his love? No. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. 
Does Jesus love us? Yes, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Did he go to the cross for love? No. The Bible says that, there, that let this mind be in you, which is all, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the swarm of his servants, made in the likeness of men, being found in the likeness of men, blah, 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 blah. he humbled himself unto death, even the death on a cross. Okay? Why did he do that? He said, Father, if it be possible, take this from me. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, yes, he loves you, but Jesus was obedient to the Father. He was obedient to the Father, and that was the greatest act of love in his life. Take the cross from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he goes to the cross. He's obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And guess what? God the Father loves that son. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, we here today are sitting in the love of the Father and the obedience of the Son. And that obedience of the Son is because every son just wants to do what his, he sees his Father doing. And the Father's loving sinners. And so the Son goes to the cross. And now are we going to love? Or are we going to spend our lives trying to be Mr. Smarty Pants? Listen, you've got to love each other because you are lovable. How do you know you're lovable? Well, not because your wife tells you so, but because God has set his affection on you and has opened your heart up to see your sin and to cling to his son, Jesus. That's how you know you're lovable. And so now you have such capital of love in you. It's completely topped off. You're filled to the brim with the love of God. That you're just self-forgetful. You're never playing for the fans. No more victimhood. It's utterly disgusting. You're not a victim. You're loved by God. Doesn't matter if your mama didn't love you. Excuse me, but I'm being mean, but there's a purpose. I don't give a rip if your mother didn't love you. Do you love your mother? I don't care if your wife doesn't love you. There are many reasons she shouldn't. But do you love your wife? I don't care if... Your children don't love you. Or if they don't receive your discipline as love, it doesn't matter. You're filled with the love of the Father. And so you obey his commandments. And you know that you never love as much as when you obey his commandments. This is love of God to obey his commandments. So we'll keep going in this. And it'll get more intense. Once again... Martin Luther says this. He says, Paul's purpose in this chapter is to silence and humble haughty, arrogant, proud Christians, particularly teachers and preachers. He says, no one thinks how we can grow in Christian love and serve our fellow men. No one thinks about it. Then he says, each of us seeks for himself glory and honor, advantage and wealth. He says, if we could pull it off, and somehow be the only person that learns and understands the gospel and everybody else 
is insignificant and useless. He says we would do it. And we would be glad that we alone can be regarded as Mr. Smarty Pants. And that's you. It is me. But for once, think about yourself. You're Mr. Smarty Pants. And we don't need, how many people think this church needs more Mr. Smarty Pants? Aren't I good enough? Can't you just let me shine in all my glory, you know? Do we need another Smarty Pants? Every, every family has, who, who is it in your, is it you? I'll bet it's you, right? Isn't it? I'll bet it is. No, I'm not talking about you. We all know John is Smarty Pants in the Crumb family. Right? Isn't it John? Yeah, it's John. And it's, it, oh no, it's probably Lizzie, right? Is Lizzie Smarty Pants? Well, actually, there's no room. Your dad already has it. He has a corner on it. <laughs> Listen, thankfully, I wasn't the smarty pants in my home, let me tell you. <laughs> it's awful. Neither was Mary Lee, so that's why revenge is the rest of our lives. Okay. All right. Let's finish our worship by first praying, and then we'll sing.